Hello and welcome to One Foot in the Rave, a podcast where we talk about the magic of coming together to celebrate all things art, music and community. I'm your host Millie here with my co-host Matt Bonner and today we'll be talking to legendary techno producer and headliner of Festival 23, Christopher Coe. We'll be chatting about the beauty and the danger of playing live to all types of crowds. Strap yourself in. So yeah, we're just in the studio. We are waiting for our friend and artist Christopher Coe. He stood us up for the last interview and um, he's late for this one. So this has been a stalwart of the Melbourne DJ scene for many years, run some classic nights, record labels, all sorts of stuff. And more recently been a big proponent of live techno, which we'll talk about a lot. Has just completed a mega tour of Europe where he is somewhat of a sensation. So it's going to be really cool if he ever deems to join us. Hi. Welcome Christopher Coe in the studio. How exciting. Yeah, I, I, let me change my glasses. I can't see you. <laughs> oh, that's better. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> um, lucky to finally catch you. Busy man. I know. Well, I've just been avoiding you basically because, well, it's called, yeah, leave them wanting more. I think that's the old, uh, that's the boomer theory. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I'll kick off with the first question. For everyone that doesn't know you, Chris, who are you and how are you connected to Festival 23? Uh, well, my name is Christopher Coe. I'm a live techno producer and performer and Festival 23, of course, is run by my very dear friend, Matt Bonner, amongst of my other dear friends. And I basically bribed him to let me play on the first one and told him that if he didn't, I would burn his house down. And so he took that seriously and let me play. And he also, I also said that if he didn't let me play for a minimum of 12 hours in my own room with my own setup, I would also potentially burn all his friends' houses down. <laughs> So he let me do that too. So that's my connection with Festival 23. And now, of course, it's become a tradition, even though it's the second time. But Matt, as I said to you, from now on, I'm playing every year at your festival. Otherwise, you die. In your own room with your own Sauron tower. Correct. I mean, it worked. It worked. And what have you been up to, Chris? Uh, well, I just came back from being like super famous in Europe and uh, back to being nobody in Mentone. Oh, you mean making music? I've been making techno. Amazing. Did you bring anything yeah. back from the ether, from overseas, for everyone that's been locked in a room? We just spent six months in Europe touring. I, I did a two-month residency in Ibiza at a club called DC10, which to, for me was the most amazing experience. In fact, Matt came and visited and he could testify to that. And wild, yeah. yeah. And then uh, we went on to play all over Spain. Uh, I did a six hour live back to back set with Carl Cox in a club in Bilbao called uh, Sala Sonora, which was one of the highlights of my life and possibly one of the highlights of Carl's life too, I, I must probably suggest played uh, did a show at Wembley Arena did a show and and we finished with a huge show in Amsterdam as part of Awakenings uh our own show for Awesome Soundwave uh at the Ziggo Dome uh in front of 12,000 people so 
it was a, a truly awe-inspiring experience to be able to, after three years or two years of uh, lockdown and being able to go nowhere further than your local supermarket, to be able to travel around and play these huge, huge events. And, and as an underground live techno artist, you know, I would never get that kind of opportunity n normally. I mean, really, it, it, it was a truly awe-inspiring experience. Tell us a bit about the, the live part of what you do. So, because um, you used to DJ, right? You DJ this digital primate, and then this live thing happened, and it feels like it's, it's a real thing at the moment, right? Yes, it is a real thing at the moment. I think people are maybe starting to, to want something a bit more than just uh, a DJ in a, in a big uh, festival-type experience. And I think that people are you know, genuinely interested and fascinated when an artist comes along that does something different or unusual. And I'm not talking about me necessarily, I'm talking about live artists in general. I think also there's a sense uh, that's, I think, really important when you're experiencing a live show from whether it be a band or a live electronic artist, there's a sense of the immediacy of it. There's a sense of improvisational immediacy, even if it's a band replicating their songs. You know, they'd be doing it in different ways. Every If you saw the band three times, they'd do it three times slightly differently. So there's always this sense of something unexpected. They would be doing something that's uh, possibly dangerous. I think there's an element of danger in the live thing, and particularly with the live electronic artist. I think that the audience naturally picks up on that. I think I'm kind of diverging from your question, but to come back to point that you make that the, there's a sense of something new happening here. I think that this is really important for audiences around the world because we've been at all the big festivals and big events with DJs waving at us. And I think what Festival 23 is doing is different, of course, because it's a much smaller, more intimate, almost an after-party type event where you're actually able to be in touch with the people performing, your friends, it's a much more personal experience, which I think is vitally important in this day and age of Uber festivals. It sounds like you're getting to the magic, the magic of, of live music and that experience that is unforgettable that people walk away feeling connected to the artists and they feel connected to each other, which really goes back to why you all do it to begin with. Entirely. And Actually, you know, I know that we're talking about one foot in the rave, and I know that this, you know, we come from a history of of rave culture, uh, where you know, back in the day, there was a lot more diversity of musical experience. There was a DJ and a live artist and a performer, and they were all playing together. It was from a drum and bass artist through to a techno artist, all on the same stage, and there's and there was this whole community vibe because it was such a new movement and more experimental, there was easily actually a lot more live artists. In fact, I came from that tradition of, you know, going to the rave and it being quite, in fact, more prevalent that the artist who was performing was playing live in some way than being a DJ. The DJ beat was kind of exotic at times. And, you know, we used to run a club called Centrifugal back in the day where we, every week, every Friday, we used to have a live artist. What I always felt, what inspired me was, you know, it wasn't perfect. 
this live artist was making stuff up on the fly, but it was a dialogue between the crowd and the artist and everybody in the same room. Everybody, you know, everybody loves the kick drum. So of course the kick drum was prevalent, but um, there was this dialogue that went, went on. And, you know, if you go back and listen to some of those recordings of live sets that were done back in the day, they'd sound terrible. They sound terrible. They're like, you wouldn't release them. But at that moment, at that time, in that room with those people and that guy playing or woman playing, it was the best thing you've ever experienced in your life. And that still, that still happens now in a live set. I think with the DJing thing, I mean, it can also happen with that, but I think in some of those bigger events, it's all so, it's quite pre-arranged in lots of ways. So there's less danger, there's less improvisation and there's less excitement because of that. I think the audience pick up on something, even if they're not aware of what you're doing, they pick yeah. up on something that's edgy and different. They, you know, it's an, it's an emotional response. I just did a gig on the weekend uh, in, t in town, actually, in the middle of the floor, playing live. And I, the response from these younger people, 20-year-olds, was like, that's, my God, it's the best night of my life. I've never heard anything like it. I've never seen anything like it. What, actually, what were you even doing? And um, they say, what were those tracks? What is that music? I'm going, I was just kind of making it up as I go along. But playing on the floor is a bit of a thing, isn't it? Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, it's very important to me. Um, it's very important to a lot of live artists that I work with. And in fact, you know, my dear friend Honey Smack is one of the great protagonists of this. And it does go right back to when we used to do the nights at Centrifugal and we used to play at raves, you know, in, in and around Melbourne, where basically there was a DJ set up and you were playing live and there was no room on the stage. So you'd set up on a table in front and you'd play on the floor and people were all around and you took the risk of people dropping their drinks on you or bumping into your own stuff or you elbowed them out of the way while you're trying to get to the drum machine and honey smack is a great uh, has some amazing stories about having done that over the years and continues to do it and as you remember at uh, 23 the last time you know we were when we first were talking about it we were like, how are we going to do this? And then we were like, no, let's just do it on the floor. We, we set up tables in the middle of the floor, have everybody around us. And and it, it worked a treat. People stayed all night. They, they felt like they could come up and chat and have a drink while it was still playing. Maybe that was a bit distracting at times. People were respectful because they felt like they had been invited into something and they were they were they felt like they were part of it. It wasn't the like the the dichotomy of the stage and the audience. The, it was a party. And that's what also kind of harkens back to the raves. It was a party that we were at, not, not, a, not a concert uh, with the Rolling Stones or, or a classical you know, event. This was a party that we're all part of. The fact that I'm, uh, or Honey Smack, or anyone is making the music is just one part, one element of the party without us all being in the same room together. There's no party. So I think people instinctively felt that they're invited into this special kind of thing. And playing on the floor for me for, means that I get immediate feedback. I can immediately react to something or immediately direct a change in mood or, you know, turn around, t take the kick out, turn around to someone, you know, make a joke, bring the kick back in. People get really excited. I remember one point at um, 23, the last time where, it, you know, I don't know, five hours in, 
basically dropped everything but the kick <laughs> and got everybody to sing bring the hi-hat back in or something like that and until Love everybody that. started singing bring in the hi-hat i didn't bring in the hi-hat and then i brought the hi-hat in and the whole crowd went wild that's just a kick drum and a hi-hat the whole crowd went wild because we were all part of something together and everybody felt like they were part of it then subsequently uh, last year carl and i and a bunch of other, honey smack isan jelsey a bunch of others did a live show on the floor at max watts where we set up in a kind of a square with all our gear set up and again the crowd were literally two feet away from us and felt part of it the vibe was astounding i was there yeah it was amazing i think it's so important to to have trust in the participation of the audience uh, and i don't like the word audience because even that denotes something like a separation we're all part of this party and i think i think that's really really vital i think that's why i love doing it so much it's harder to do it at a big event when you've got 12,000 people i mean logistically speaking that's extremely difficult so we, yeah. we have yet to achieve that and amazing that you can i think from like a from somebody you know witnessing your live act feeling a part of it makes you feel like you're part of something bigger which is really you know what parties do for people is like coming together and feeling connected and then getting to into a flow state with a master with somebody that's amazing at what they do is you know sharing a bit of their genius sharing a bit of their energy which is super super cool and interesting and of course people are going to come away from that feeling more connected to your music and you and more connected to each other which you know that's why we go to parties well i mean the reason i go to parties is to take drugs but um that's just me <laughs> it's a bonding experience for everyone involved <laughs> So you've got one of your um, label mates from your label, Awesome Soundwave, coming play. Can you just tell us maybe a bit about what we can expect for your performance this, this coming Festival 23? My performance? Um, I haven't fully decided, but I think it will be another marathon, and yet maybe we will just see what happens. Obviously, it will be live. Obviously, it will include crowd participation. Obviously, it will appear at some point during proceedings and then disappear at some other point during proceedings. What I loved about it the last time was that, you know, we just opened the room and went for it. You know, because nobody knew what to expect. Could have been two people there kind of cowering in a corner. But as it worked out, it was the whole crowd having a great time. And we've also, as you said, we've got an ambassador coming to join us who's one of our label mates on Awesome Soundwave, which is the label that Carl and I do exclusively signing live artists and Anna Bast is coming from Poland she is just this great warm entertainer who plays beautiful electronic music live I can't recommend her highly enough she's just grown and grown and grown in the last few years since we released her first album she's joined us on a few shows she joined us in Ibiza and she joined us in Wembley and she then again joined us in Amsterdam and I've seen her just go from here to here to here, musically, creatively, and, you know, obviously with her profile, but more importantly, creatively. And she said it herself. She said, she, I don't know how to explain it, but I just feel like 
something's changed. And Kyle turned to her. We were having dinner one day. He turned to her. He said, you know what you did? And she goes, what? He goes, you stepped up. You played the biggest show you've ever played at Wembley. And you stepped up to the level that you needed to be at to do that. And that's why we signed you, because we knew that you could do it. So, I mean, that's really important. And I would say that for me personally, playing Festival 23 that last time was a step-up moment because I said to Matt, I want to play for, you know, 12 hours, thinking, you know, I was being facetious, but thinking, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to play for as long as I possibly can play for. And to, in the end, we, we did. We played for, well, it wasn't 12 hours. It was seven hours. Non-stop, I played for seven hours. And for me, that was a big creative challenge. I didn't know if I could do it. I pretended to Matt that, of course, I could do it. I'm, of course, I could do it. But I didn't know if I could do it. I just thought, if I don't do this, you know, when do you get an opportunity like that? So for me, that was the start of, I guess, self-vindication that this is the way to go, creatively speaking. So I have a great fondness for Festival 23 because of that. It was a little birthing experience. Beautiful. So what do you hope to leave the next Festival 23 with? Well, just a load of cash, like a lot of cash. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) Good luck with that. Briefcase will be waiting for you in your um, limousine. I think after lockdown, it's become very, very clear that people really need to connect in spaces that are safe and fun and remind people that they're connected to each other because, you know, daily life is very individualistic and it can be very isolating, especially after the lockdowns. So, you know, to be able to come back to party for for me as somebody that is, you know, an audience member or somebody that goes along to gigs, it was really hard not to do that for a while and then coming back not only was it a little bit scary because you know we have this fear in the air about you're going to catch COVID you're going to do this it was you know a bit of an adjustment coming back to a dance floor and feeling safe but going away from a dance floor after you know years in lockdown and being able to dance again with each other almost like rinses your energy out and you come back with this, you know, new kind of refreshed attitude to life because you're reminded that you're connected. I was chatting with um, my old mate Dov in San Francisco who runs a, a label out of there and um, and he was saying how Burning Man, for him and his mates, really, his words put us back together and he said it was really important. That was the first big festival they'd been to and he felt really sort of, renewed after that i had that experience at fusion festival in germany this australian winter european summer just passed where um you know i was almost a little nervous to go and deal with a crowd that big again it's i don't know eighty thousand people odd and um and was was like this has been two and a half years or almost three years since i've been to a big festival and then as soon as i got there i just slotted in and really did have that feeling of being you know, taken through the, the beautiful magic of that festival and coming out the other side somehow put back together. Did you have that experience in Europe? Mm, um, well, not really. I don't like people that much. For me, it was about being able to perform again and play my music live again. No, I'm being facetious. I didn't have quite the experience that you've described. So when <laughs> I first got to Spain in May to do a show at uh, this huge 
place outside of Madrid called Fabric, with spelled with a K. It was my first show back after quite a long time. And there's a video of this incredible moment where there's a huge crowd of people. Um, I'm playing and Carl comes on the stage and he's filming it. And the crowd are just so overjoyed at just the whole thing and it's outdoor. And then, you know, I'm playing and I bring the kick drum in and they just literally levitate. And that moment for me was the, the moment where I was like, oh, right, we're back. This is, this is what I kind of remembered. And I still get goosebumps when I think about that. But for me, it was to go over there and play and then do Ibiza and do all these shows. And so it became very, very focused and a lot of work, which is amazing. But I didn't get to go and, you know, like you, be, you know, at the festival, part of the gang with the crew, do it, you know. So in that sense, I didn't. But in on the other sense, it felt like, like as I described, that moment where, where we are, we're back and it's been something that I, I realized I had a little, I had a little cry to myself. I realized that it's, it was something that I had missed greatly. So then to be able to go back and do six months in Europe of those kind of shows everywhere was almost overwhelming. And like I said, I'm still kind of processing that. I guess the bit of rave wisdom that we could kind of touch on is is that of course as humans we are community we are communal we are tribal and for our generation the rave was our tribal gathering or in fact there was a rave called tribal gathering as you know for us this was a very important part of our lives i'll never forget those moments at uh, you know rainbow serpent or going further back earth core events out in the bush uh, you know doing Bush raves in Australia is quite was quite unique. Coming from Ireland and the UK, as you know, coming from warehouse raves and stuff, or really cold, muddy field raves to Australian bush raves is quite a big jump. The most simple wisdom was look after your mates and pick up after yourself. And it still stands today that, that we should be doing that, I think. And I think that applies to life, really, because you're respecting yourself and your environment and your friends. Totally. Beautiful. Beautiful words, Thanks, Christopher Coe. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for chatting with us today, and we cannot wait to be on that dance floor and see you going hard at it for 12 hours. Yeah, well, we're all going to be doing it. It's not just me. It's a, it's a joint effort. I can't do it without you, so you have to all commit to this. I'll be giving out tabs of acid at the start. It's not a bad idea, is it? I should probably do that. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Lots of love.